Jesus loves you. Every day he loves you. As we saw in the passage that was read from Deuteronomy chapter 7, he's chosen to set his love upon you. It's got nothing to do with how you act. He's never going to change his mind. You are secure this morning in the love of Christ. Our sermon text this morning is Philippians 1, 7 through 11. I've entitled the sermon, Loving, Gospel-Centered Prayer. Do you love people perfectly? Do you want to love God and love people more than you do now? I think most normal Christians would say, yeah, of course. Of course I do. But if you do, I must warn you that it's going to be costly. It's going to come at a great price. It's not just feelings of I love people and sort of the emotional side of things. It's a commitment. It will mean that you're going to have to die to self because we love, each, we love ourselves too much. And that's the problem. We don't see the things that God often wants us to see. So if you're a parent here this morning, you'll understand sacrificial love. Before you had kids, <laughs> you were able to do more, a lot more things that you wanted to do, right? And then the kids come, especially when they're young, and all of a sudden your life gets radically changed. And so more and more sacrificial love has to be taking place. You have to die to self more and more and more. It's a cost, but you love your kids. But it's costing you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We all know that pretty much by heart, don't we? The reason that God the Father gave his only son, Jesus, was what? Because he so loved the world. He loved sinners who were incapable of saving themselves. His love is never in question, but he had to give his son in order to do that. And so what we see then is that love is sacrificial, it's costly, but it's also something that's active. It's something that we do. It's not, I just love you out there. Jesus invades our lives. He indwells us with the Holy Spirit. And he continues to work this work that he began until he finishes it at the day of Christ. So the reason that that God sent Jesus is because he set his love on us. And the reason that Jesus went to the cross is because he was compelled to act on that love that he has for us as he came to seek and save the lost. So love compelled him to be crucified. It was an act he had to do. He had to die to self, literally. 
And the Apostle Paul experienced Jesus' love on the Damascus Road. We looked at that the last couple of weeks just briefly. When Jesus saved him, when he was in the process of destroying the church. And so Jesus intervened and said, I'm going to place my love on Paul. I died for Paul. And I'm not going to change my mind, even though he's destroying the church. I mean, that's sort of hard to get our heads around, isn't it? So Paul's been telling Christians, and yet Jesus picks him to become the apostle to the Gentiles. He acted. And then in Paul's loving gospel-centered prayer in verses 9 to 11, it was one of that he was asking the love of the Christians in Philippi would abound more and more. Abound more and more. They're being asked to die to self more and more in order to love others. It cost Paul dearly. The suffering he went through, the fact that he didn't have any social security, didn't have an IRA, didn't have any type of high-paying job. He's a tent maker, picks up odd jobs now and then. He had to trust the Lord to provide for him. Jehovah Jireh. He was trusting in God and his provision, and he wasn't trying to work so hard to gain peace and security in the, in the things that he worked at. These are things that God delights in giving us as we keep our eyes and our focus on him. Please turn with me now to uh, Philippians 1, 7 through 11. And we're going to learn a lot more about loving gospel-centered prayer. Paul's going to teach us. If you would stand, please, for the reading of his word. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's look at our first point, Paul's love for the Philippians. Paul says in verse 8, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. In verses 7 and 8, Paul told the Philippians how much he loved them. He uh, gave them praise. But this was the same Paul who earlier, before he became a Christian, was after to kill these same types of people. Now he loved them. What an amazing work of God that takes place within us when we become his child. 
Paul is a mature Christian. He'd grown greatly over the years in learning how to love the way that Jesus loves. And he's telling the Philippians that he yearns for them, that he longs for them. His heart goes out to be with them and to experience them with the affection of Christ Jesus. So they're the fruit that came as a result of what Paul had done in Philippi, where he had shared the gospel in word and deed. And, and, and here in this uh, beginning of this particular scripture passage, we see that, that they are actually going out and they're working, right? They're loving in the community of Philipp Philippi. And so he's rejoicing over how they were defending and confirming the gospel, which is being evidenced by their bold witness there and people that are coming to Christ and their willingness to suffer for the gospel. So now they're beginning to live more and more for the kingdom of God underneath the authority of God to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And Paul reveals why he loves them in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us. Does the love of Christ control you? Does the love of Christ control me? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Did you hear that? Not for themselves, but how? But for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's a tremendous change of focus. And it's hard at times because we get right up here, you know, on Mondays through Fridays, looking at bills that need to be paid, all kinds of things going on that are practical in nature. But he says, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. So what he's saying there is that they're tasting and remembering the love of Christ. He died for them. And so this continues to move greatly in their hearts and their minds. This is what motivates them. It's the love of Christ that controls it, compels, depending on which translation you want to use. And so this is what motivates us. It's not me saying, okay, I'm just going to love more and I'll try the best I can and somehow I'm gonna get there. No, it's the love of Christ that's flowing into us and through us into the lives of those who are around us. And not only did God give a message, excuse me, a ministry of reconciliation to Paul and to the Philippian church, but he also gave a gospel message of reconciliation and he also gave the responsibility of being ambassadors of that message to the Philippians and to us. So what's the role of an ambassador? You know, I'm from Northern Virginia, right? So we hear about ambassadors all the time up there. Well, anyway, let's give you an example. What an ambassador does, he speaks on behalf of somebody else. So if the ambassador from the United States that's assigned to be in England, goes and talks to the leaders that he's supposed to talk to in England, he's not at liberty to say anything else other than the message that he's been given by the United States government. 
And so that's the idea here for us. We can't give a foreign gospel. We have to give the gospel, the true gospel that we see in scripture. And so Paul was excited that the Philippians had joined him in being ambassadors of that same gospel. And he wants us to do the same. Now let's look at our second point in our outline, the content of Paul's prayer for the Philippians in verses nine through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. How is it supposed to abound? It says, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and promise of God. So this is a gospel-centered prayer. We need to break it down and see what's being taught to us here. But this is a very valuable thing for us to understand. How should we pray? And of course, this is an intercessory prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. And so as we look at it, we can learn a lot of how we can pray for each other how we can pray for the church, the buildings, you know, all the different plans that are going on and also for missionaries and different ones. So this gives us some, some wisdom in how we can specifically pray then for those who are uh, in the church. And the first thing Paul prays for is that their love may abound more and more. Well, that's an interesting thing for him to be praying for. You know what abound means? Abound means above and beyond, ever increasing and rich. Ever increasing. Sanctification includes us increasing in how much we love. Abounding more and more. So this side of heaven, before Jesus comes back, these are things that should be growing in us. We see the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And we actually, as a list of the characters of Jesus, the qualities of Jesus. And the very first one is what? Love, joy, peace. There's nine that are listed there all together. But the first one is, is love. And he wants that to continue to increase more and more. So we're growing more and more like Jesus. And that's important. Because as we do that, then we're going to want to do different things in an ever greater way. So, on his behalf. Now, he's just told them how great they are at partnering with him in the gospel. So, why would he be saying this to them? You guys are doing a great job, but, <laughs> right? But, there's more. Because they've already shown that they're loving to some degree, right? The problem is they're still struggling with their selfishness and their sin nature. Every day. There's an internal battle that's taking place inside of every Christian. We all struggle with it. And that's why Paul's pain. Look, you know, it's wonderful how far you come already, but there's so much more. Isn't that good to know? There's so much more. You know, some of the ways in which 
our sin nature and our selfishness, basically two words mean the same thing, selfish sin nature. Um, that's where we live for ourselves and think about ourselves all the time. Well, there's some specific examples in Galatians 5.19. Sexual immorality. Just look at our society right now. Impurity. Idolatry. Jealousy. I know nobody here is ever jealous. <laughs> Fits of anger. Ah, you guys never get angry, do you? Dissensions, envy, drunkenness, and things like this. It's a long, long list. But basically, it all comes back to thinking about ourselves and not thinking about what God thinks. Trying to live our lives without God. Do you love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you? Jesus did. How much do you love money versus God? These are hard questions. Where is your pride showing up? Are you convinced that you're a sinner? Are you a good person? Because we aren't good. But so quickly we think we're good because we're better than the world out there, right? We're sinners saved by grace. Our biggest problem is we don't really believe how much we sin and how much we need to grow in love. We're too busy thinking about ourselves a lot. Now, I don't want you to feel like you're being beaten up this morning. That's not, that's not the intent. It's to get you thinking about these things. Or put another way, we're blind to how much we need to die to self. I'll give you an example. Over many years of ministry, I've done a lot of marriage counseling. So I sit down with a couple. I'll always ask the same question. How can I help you? <laughs> I never know what's coming next, <laughs> except for one thing, I do know that both of the spouses are gonna start telling me how bad the other one is. They're experts on the other's sin nature. Yeah. So if you feel that way this morning, you're just normal. <laughs> so they become experts on where their spouse needs to change. However, they don't see where they need to change. So the message generally is, if you'll just change my spouse, <laughs> Pastor Brian, just change my spouse because then I'll be happy. Well, the problem is they need to work on their holiness and not their happiness because through holiness comes the happiness. When you put the happiness first, the holiness doesn't ever get addressed. And how many wives want to see their husbands change? How many husbands want to see their wives change? So we can have a better marriage. See, there's sin in both spouses always. It's not necessarily 50-50. In fact, it's rarely 
They both need to change through the power of the Spirit and abound in love more and more towards each other, which requires death to self. Death to self. So, every marriage in here this morning is the same. Even if you're not seeing a counselor, the same principles still apply. So where do you need to repent of your selfishness? Look at your own heart instead of your spouse's. Take a little time, maybe later on this afternoon. Good exercise. God will be very faithful to show you. If you need any help, your wife will help you. <laughs> and so we've got to start removing this condemning attitude. There's a wonderful word that's used here called discernment. Knowledge and discernment. Now see, discernment is seeing the facts. Discernment says, this is right, this is wrong. But condemnation brings guilt and shame on people. And you don't want to do that to your spouse or your children. So you want to be able to grow and mature and intercede for them and ask God to make their love abound more and more. When you do abdicate for the forgiveness of your spouse before God, please forgive them, oh Lord. Please help me to love them the way you love me. Amazing things start happening in your marriage. And so these kinds of relational things are not only true of the married, but also the singles and for kids. So these are principles that will work in all these different settings. Now, it might come as a shock to some of you to know that my wife, Diane, is married to a sinner. <laughs> yes, I know it's true. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Praise the Lord. Kids, who can tell me where the love chapter is in the Bible? Shout it out if you know. Okay, adults. <laughs> Where's the great love chapter in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 13. Yes, thank you, thank you. Here we find, in, starting in verse 4, an interesting way in which we are to practically live with each other. This is how we should be uh, interacting and in a way that's truly loving. Okay, so here's what it says. Love is patient and kind. Beautiful, we love that. I love it when my wife is patient and kind with me. <laughs> love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, I would like to encourage you all to put those verses up on your fridge. So practical. 
so practical. Because why? Because the family goes in the fridge a lot. (laughs) But what we need to know is when are we being loving and when are we not being loving? And so as we get these verses down inside of our hearts and our minds, we can say, wait a minute, you know, I really wasn't very patient with my spouse today. You know, and some of the things I said to my kids weren't very kind. I kind of bossed them around today. I've been guilty of all this, of course. Now, Diane is an expert at seeing my sins. She knows me better than anybody else. But the woman's a saint, and she wants me to abound and love more and more. So I'd like to share with how she usually, not all the time, she's not quite perfect, but a lot of the time, this is how she handles things when she wants to, uh, to help me grow. <laughs> so she does not condemn me. She discerns, right? And I need to know then and have discernment and how sin is operating in me that she's been able to detect. And so, as she comes to me and she begins to share where she sees that I might want to change. (laughs) And uh, as she does, that uh, I might need to repent to go along with that so that God does change me and I ask for the desires of my heart to change. But she always brings some concrete examples. And this is where the knowledge helps out. So I know that she loves me. I've been married 37 years. So we worked through those first, you know, 35 pretty well. (laughs) So I am convinced in my heart that she loves me and she wants my best and she wants me to grow in Christ-likeness. So that's, that's never in doubt. So when she brings concrete examples, that really, really helps. So it gives me knowledge. Brian, you know what? Every time, you know, this particular thing happens, I've noticed. And here's three examples of where I believe you might want to think about, you know, possibly having some sin in that area. And what can I say, right? I can always tell when she starts in on one of these because it's like, you know what, hon? Can we talk? (laughs) I know I'm in trouble. And so she never condemns me. It's always for my best. And what a joy that is because she wants my love to abound more and more and knowledge and all discernment. And as I'm convicted of sin, then I'm at the age now and the experience now that I don't argue with her. I listen and most of the time she's right. I do reserve the right to say she's wrong, <laughs> time to time, or I don't agree, uh, but let's deal with the most of the time. <laughs> and so, as I want then to repent and not to argue with her, because I've heard her, then after I've done that, I ask her to pray with me. So she becomes the one who helps me not just my critic, not the one who's condemning me, but she's part of the solution. 
Wow, does that make my heart sing? I'm not being condemned. I'm being loved the way that Jesus loves me. And isn't that how he does it? Through the Holy Spirit, convicting my heart of sin. Then I repent. And then the Holy Spirit intercedes, right? Romans 8, 26. Jesus intercedes. So I've got all this prayer going up for me, but it's so precious when I can hear the voice of my wife praying for me. And the beauty is, she gets a better husband. (laughs) Because I'm changing. And I'm becoming a person who loves her more. I'm becoming more sensitive. Hasn't always been that way. (laughs) But it's beautiful as uh, this works out. And so I continue to grow in Christ-likeness. And so we see here again in this verse, this is how we approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So it's God that's doing it all. God's opening up Diane's eyes. He's given me a desire to listen, to repent, to hear her. And then he's the one that changes the desires of my heart. How can you not love God? Wow! My life is getting more and more loving all the time. Doesn't mean I'm free from sin. There's still plenty of sin and go around. She can tell you. <laughs> so we do need to ask ourselves these questions. Like, how loving am I really? And how much am I demanding my own way? How much am I asking other people to change, but I'm not really thinking about changing myself? Where am I repenting? Where is it God is showing me my selfishness. Where do I give myself permission to ignore or disobey God's word? See, when we sin, that's what we're doing. We usually, most of the time, we know when we're sinning. We know we're doing something that's not right. So I want my love to abound more and more. And then the more I love, the more I'm changing, then more of the fruit of righteousness is what the terms that Paul's using here. The fruit of righteousness, it once again goes back to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Developing those character qualities, growing in those things, and uh, experiencing desires, fresh desires maybe to feed the hungry, support the local pregnancy center, reach out to the homeless, proclaiming the gospel to the lost. The more I see my daily walk as I get up every morning and go out, that's my mission field. I don't have to go visit a missionary. I am a missionary. I'm an ambassador. And I'm being sent out by Jesus every day to proclaim that message of reconciliation, that gospel message. And it's not got some big, fancy program to it. It's how am I loving the people I encounter today? Do I invite them over for a meal? Do I invite them to a small group? You know, all the things that many of you are already doing, but love is gonna abound more and more. And it's the love of Christ moving in us, causing us to want to do that. So Jesus' love is a costly love. 
So gospel-centered prayer always has its long-term focus on the day of Christ's return. That's important because the things that are negative that happen to you today have always got to be seen in view of the light of eternity or that day of Christ's return. Paul is bringing that to our attention for the second time in the first 11 verses of of, uh, Philippians. He mentioned it earlier in verse 6, and now he's mentioning it in the prayer in verse 10. It's when he'll make all things right. So if I'm suffering right now for the gospel, he's going to make all things right. And he's going to wipe away every tear when he returns. Justice will be served even though it may not feel like it's being served now. And it's not always. But we know it will be. We're sure that is going to happen. That's why Paul didn't care about being imprisoned because he was thinking of the day of Christ's return. And that has gotten me through a lot of different difficult circumstances in my life. Keep your eye on Christ's return when he's going to make all things right and you won't sin anymore. I won't sin anymore. We look forward to that day. So sometimes he's changing us inside. Sometimes he's changing the people around us by how the love of Christ flows through us. But he's at work and he's going to finish that work. And the fruit of righteousness will come, hopefully laden down as we appear before Christ on that day. It's to the glory of God that sinners will be changed and become like Jesus. What a glorious thing that is. May we all abound more and more in the love of Christ. And may we all pray this gospel-centered prayer for each other. Lord, may you make our love abound more and more through Jesus Christ to your glory and praise. Amen. Jesus loves you.